This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. We know the air is unfit to breathe and our food is unfit to eat. We sit watching our TVs while some local newscaster tells us that today we had 15 homicides and 63 violent crimes, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. I want you to get mad. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! I'm mad as hell! I'm not going to take it anymore! I'm mad as hell! I'm not going to take it anymore! Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. No need to get mad, friends. No need to get even. The best revenge is a life lived well. Hey, welcome, welcome, one and all. It is uh, Sunday, June the 10th, 2012, and I am home and glad to be home. Once again in the friendly confines of the uh, the studio here at the all-new AM 74550 Queen Street East in Toronto, the good. I've been on the road for a couple of weeks, and, um, uh, you know, coming home is, is just so uh, nice. And, the, and one of the great things is I know everything works. <laughs> if you were listening last week and uh, the, uh, the Internet connection, I, I was doing the program by Skype via uh, Saskatoon, which is a lovely town, uh, but the, uh, the high-speed Internet in the hotel there wasn't uh, uh, the greatest. So if you if you were if you hung in there for the duration, God bless you, because uh, we had a, we had some difficulties, but we had a great interview, of course, with Jim Fetzer talking about nine eleven, and uh, we have another great show for you tonight. A little bit later, uh, some call her the Crop Circle Queen. Suzanne Taylor will be uh, with us. Uh, she never started out to be a, a filmmaker, but she started uh, investigating these crop circles and realized that this story had to get told. And, and uh, voila, along came a, uh, an award-winning documentary uh, called What on Earth? Inside the Crop Circle Mystery. And she'll be with us in about 40 minutes' time. Uh, standing by, in just a few moments, we'll be joined on the line by... Well, he's, um, he's a, a controversial broadcaster... He's a, a columnist with the uh, the Toronto Sun and the Sun newspaper chain across uh, Canada. Uh, he's got a show, a television show, a talk show on, uh, on on Sun News Network called The Arena. And he's an old mate of mine going back, uh, oh gosh, close to 20 years, I think. Michael Corrin uh, has now taken on the mantle of Christian apologist, and he'll be here, as I say, shortly. He's got a brand new book out called Heresy, Ten Lies They spread about Christianity. They, well, we'll find out who they are. I think you can imagine or guess. Uh, And so we'll chat with Michael for a while, and then we'll bring in uh, Suzanne Taylor and talk about crop circles. And who knows, maybe even towards the tail end, we'll have some time to throw the phone lines wide open, and you can have at me, and we can discuss uh, just about anything. And just a reminder, 
that, um, you know, the big uh, premier meeting of the minds here in Canada, the executive producer, of course, Zoomer Media's very own Moses Neimer, Idea City, is coming up and it's fast approaching June 13th, 14th, and 15th at Kerner Hall, Corner Hall rather, uh, which is the, let's see, it's the northwest corner of uh, young, uh, of uh, John and King. Uh, it's uh, It's got the big TELUS building, sometimes they call it the TELUS building. That's Corner Hall. And for three days, Moses Neimer and Idea City, they're taking it over. And uh, what a collection of uh, uh, amazing people that are going to be speaking there over the course of those three days. Uh, You've got uh, uh, Preston Manning, and you'll meet um, uh, and some musicians too. Not just you know, not just you know, uh, scientists and, and people involved in robotics and the environment, but uh, musicians, Michael Casehammer and Leona Boyd, and 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 um, and former statesmen like Preston Manning, as I said. And I don't know what the heck Moses was thinking, but then he went and invited me <laughs> to run my mouth. Uh, off the top, I think I'm start. I'm speaking in the morning, June 13th, about 2012. Of course, this is sort of the theme of uh, this year's Idea City. It's the 13th annual Idea City, so it's kind of the bar mitzvah. Last week on uh, the program, I was speaking with the exe- uh, one of the uh, the producers of Idea City, David Sursta. So if, if you uh, if you don't know anything about it, if you if you've been living under a rock and you want to find out more, go to I- ideacityonline.com. Idea City Online. Uh, there you'll see a list of uh, this year's presenters, including yours truly. I'll get, again, I'll be speaking about the year 2012 and whether it's doomsday or a new beginning. But all the other great presenters are there. And um, you can find out how to get, uh, how to get tickets for uh, the, all three days. And then in the evening, uh, Moses Neimer and Idea City, they throw these legendary parties. Uh, so then you get to you know, come up and, and, and meet some of these speakers and, and, and talk to them. So, uh, again, ideacityonline.com. Check it out. Uh, what else can I tell you? Otherwise, uh, let, why don't we just head on into a break and let's get this show going my friend David Gaskin. Good to be home, and I hope you'll be uh, hanging in for the duration here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoom Radio, AM 740. To speak to Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. When we think of religious persecution, we think of the desecration of of Jewish cemeteries, the firebombing of a Jewish synagogue, a Muslim uh, somewhere in the Middle East who's who's put to death for uh, uh, daring to convert to Christianity. But Christians persecuted, particularly in the West? Huh, seems hard to believe. Well, not uh, not so. And we're about to uh, delve into that uh, very important discussion with my next guest. Michael Koren is uh, the author of some 14 uh, books, and his latest is Heresy, Ten Lies They Spread About Christianity. You can also see him nightly on the Sun News Network, and he also writes a popular 
uh, column for the the, uh, the Sun newspaper chain across Canada. He's also, I'm happy to say, a good friend, Michael Corrin. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Very well. Great pleasure. Great honor to be on the show for the first time. The first time, yes. <laughs> the first of many, I hope. Oh, I don't know. I'll have to see how I do. <laughs> uh, my, the, the, the point that I raised, the, the idea that many people probably have a hard time believing that Christians are being persecuted, um, maybe anywhere for that matter, but particularly in the West. Not so, right? Well, I, I think you know, the, the terminology is quite, quite significant here. Uh, Christians are, Christianity is, the most persecuted religion on earth. I mean, this isn't a question of debate. The United Nations, no friend of Christianity, says this. All of the non-government and government organizations that do with persecution say this. There's very little persecution, at, generally, of other religions. The, the heartland of Hinduism is obviously India, within the vast majority. Um, Islamic minorities in the West, they may claim persecution, but anyone who lives in the West knows this is ludicrous. In fact, they're, they're treated extremely well. But in the Islamic world, in the communist world, um, Christians are treated in the most appalling manner. And it's getting worse, not better. In Nigeria, uh, northern Nigeria principally, there are constant bombings on churches, attacks on Christians. Uh, in Pakistan, uh, quite dreadful. Egypt, Saudi Arabia, it's illegal to be a Christian in Saudi Arabia, actually. Iran, con- Arab, Christi- Arab countries where Christians were tolerated, Iraq, Syria. Iraq is no longer tolerant. Islamic uh, fundamentalists are, are committing atrocities. And now in Syria, the same is occurring. At the end of May, in Canada, I mean, when we move to the West, it's not persecution. It's a form of marginalization. It's Christians being told they have no place in the public square. But there are things that go, and I think for your show, this is particularly significant. At the end of May, two Roman Catholic churches were firebombed in the space of 24 hours, one in Brampton, the other one in North Toronto. Now, this could be a coincidence. It could just be that within 24 hours, the same day as the Ontario government uh, passed, uh, well, announced an amendment that all, gay, that all Catholic schools would have to take a gay-straight alliance organization. It could just be that one church uh, was hit with a pipe bomb and another one an arson attack where two men were seen fleeing and nobody was caught. But that's really a bit far-fetched, isn't it? Uh, it seems to me that Catholic churches were targeted and it got barely any media coverage at all. So, yes, there is wide-scale persecution and... Um, it, as I say, is not improving in any way. Uh, Christian kids at universities in the Western world are mocked and, and marginalized, made fun of. Uh, Christians are told not to talk about their faith in the public place. Catholic schools are told not to be Catholic. Yeah, I, I would call that, if not persecution, certainly a, an implicit attack on someone's freedom of religion. Heresy, 10 lies they spread about Christianity. Who are they? Well, I was asked that question the other day, actually. I mean, when I, I could have just called it 10 lies spread about Christianity. I mean, so, I mean it's, I'm not going <laughs> to say the word is particularly important. When I say they, I mean, I suppose I'm talking about mainstream media, the, the, the culture in general. If you, you switch on TV almost any night, there's likely to be some sort of negative depiction of Christians. Um, I'm one of those people, I'm, I'm actually very libertarian on this, I think that more things should be laughed at, not less. I mean, the, the more we laugh, the less damage we can do. What I resent is that um, we're hardly ever allowed to laugh at, say, Islam or uh, other religions, but Christianity has become the uh, the flavor, not of the, of the month, but of uh, the last 
generation. And it's not funny a lot of the time. It's just cruel. You know, John Stewart on The Daily Show, who I think is a very cowardly man, um, who seems sort of white guys between the ages of, of 17 and, and 30 think, you know, he, he's quite a messianic figure. But he's, he, he's not very brave. He doesn't take on the really tough subjects. But recently he uh, had a, a photograph of a naked woman with her legs spread open, and in front of her genitalia was a crib. And he was making a joke about the, the Christian attitude towards contraception. Now, you can make a joke about that if you want. That's fine with me. But that, that depiction was extreme. And when he was told it was, it was hurtful and would he have done it about another faith and maybe he should apologize, he just said, go to hell. And it's, you, you've got to have a level playing field. You've got to have a consistency. If you really believe in satire and mocking religion, you can't just choose one religion. The, the form of, uh, you, you call it the marginalization, and, and uh, that, that, is, that is very palpable here in the West. I mean, I've experienced it. I'm a Christian, not a very good one. Uh, but what, what you often get are, are snide remarks. But the thing is that, that, that people will say things right to your face, uh, and they don't seem to have any qualms about it. And, and as you say, we, we tend to shrug it off. Is that the proper, proper uh, response? So we, we tend to think, well, we have broad shoulders and turn the other cheek and all that, but other religions don't just laugh it off, do they? No, they don't. Well, turning the other cheek is one thing. I mean, if you get a personal slight... To, uh, to not respond, to forgive the person. That's very different from uh, turning away from the truth. You know, th th there was a time when you'd hear maybe a racist comment or an anti-Semitic comment and say nothing, and that isn't accepted these days. Uh, so, I, I, yes, I do think we should respond. Not, everybody, not everybody's cut out to be an apologist, a defender of the faith, but one of the reasons I wrote this book was so I could empower some people, enable some people to say, hold on a moment, you know, I... That isn't true. When you just said Hitler was a Christian, or when you said that Christians supported slavery, or when, when you said that Christians uh, are thoughtless, or, or they, they oppose science, that's just not true. It's completely untrue. And it, it's particularly irritating because the people who say this tend to be, with all due respect, pretty stupid. The professional atheist types, you know, the, the, uh, the, the internet heroes, the, the, the blogging warriors, the, the Twitter obsessives, and they come out with the same nonsense over and over again. And it, it's, it's dumb, it's anti-intellectual, and it's also very rude to Christian believers. Listen, I will defend my faith, take me on for what I believe, but, but don't attack me for what I don't believe and never have believed. And some of this stuff is, is so basic. I mean, one of them going around is, did you know German soldiers in World War II had the words, God is with us, on their belt buckle? You see, we told you so. Mm. Well, first of all, that's a Prussian army design from the 19th century, that the Nazis wanted to get rid of and eventually did. But so what? So, so everyone says, God is on my side. I mean, God probably wonders who's on his. But that says nothing about the truth or reality of God. That, that says a great deal about the pride of individual people and a man, which is why we need God and why there is a God to, to tell us right from wrong. Michael Corrin, author, broadcaster. His latest is Heresy, Ten Lies They Spread About Christianity. Let's uh, take a time out. When we come back, let's delve into some of those uh, ten lies. You mentioned uh, Hitler, and it's uh, been often repeated by, uh, I guess, the... Um, those who stand in opposition of, of, of Christianity, that, that Hitler was a Christian and so forth. And we'll, uh, we'll talk also about uh, whether or not uh, Christianity is anti-science. Back with more here on AM740. Stay with us. Keeping an eye on the New World Order, this is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, 
AM740. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Michael Corrin stays with us here on The Conspiracy Show. His latest, Heresy, 10 Lies They Spread About Christianity. Uh, one of them you, you mentioned just before the break, Michael, and that is that Hitler and the, uh, the Nazis were Christians. Mm. Uh, yeah, this has become rather common in recent years, and it, it would be comical if it wasn't so gruesome. Uh, National Socialism was not just a bunch of thugs wearing black and brown shirts. It was a very distinct ideology. And National Socialism wanted to replace church with party, a messiah with furor, soul with will, care for the weakest with survival of the fittest. It was distinctly pagan. It was vehemently anti-Christian. It despised the the very fundamentals of Christianity. If you read uh, Hitler's table talk when he was speaking to people around him, if you look at the the ideology of the party at all its levels, the the songs and poetry and folklore of the party and the Hitler Youth and so on, they they, they speak explicitly about killing Christians. They hated Christianity. Many of them, particularly in the 30s before they rose to power, uh, would say, look, you know, the anti-Semitic stuff, that's not such a big deal. We don't like you because you gave us Jesus. We don't like the Jews because this was Voltaire's reason for his anti-Semitism, by the way, because you gave the world Jesus who is weak and, and, and forgiving, and this is completely contrary to what we believe, the, the great strength of the northern gods. Um, so, no, they, they were extremely anti-Christian. Uh, Hitler made a couple of speeches trying to seduce Christians into Nazism. Well, he was a liar. He was a satanic figure, and he did tell lies. But if you look at the opposition to Nazism, how many Christians were, were, were killed, how Christians were targeted, how, this is, I think, here's an example how completely apolitical monasteries were raided by the Nazis when they occupied countries, and the monks were killed. Now, they were no threat to the Nazis, but they represented everything the Nazis hated. So it's a very sort of paperback um, uh, internet understanding of Nazism to think that just because these people were from Central Europe, they were Christians. Yes, uh, Hitler was baptized a Catholic, but so what? He, he detested his Catholicism. The late Christopher Hitchens, who had many qualities, but I mean, he wasn't very thorough. He, he used to give a speech where he, 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 he kept repeating that Goebbels had been excommunicated. Why? But the, the, church, the Catholic Church didn't excommunicate various Nazi criminals. And then at the end he says, and Goebbels was excommunicated because he married a Protestant. And all the sheep laugh. Ah, Chris, you're so funny. He doesn't understand. Um, The church can't excommunicate people who are not in communion with the church. Uh, Those Nazi war criminals had left the church. They were not in communion with the church. They were already excommunicated. They excommunicated Mm. themselves. Mm, Um, Goebbels still claimed to be a Catholic at one point in his life, and when he said, I don't care about the Catholic sacraments, he was excommunicated. But that's something very different. And, of course, Pope Pius XII, in fact, was with Churchill, one of the two great war leaders who stood against Nazism and, and put even more on the line than Churchill because he was actually surrounded by Nazi troops. as a, a great campaign of mythology to say that uh, the Vatican was, was pro-Nazi. That's a horrible lie. We, this is one, obviously, we, 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 we could have easily started with, but I did want to touch on, on Hitler because you, you, you mentioned it earlier. But mm. that is the idea that, that uh, Jesus Christ was not even an historical figure. Now, compared to other 
historical figures 2,000 years ago. Do we know, how much do we know about, about Jesus and how much documentation is there about we, Jesus as an historical figure? There's a huge amount. We know far more about him than we do about most of the ancients. And uh, if you go back a bit further to the Greek world, um, there's hardly anything to prove the existence of Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, but we, know, we don't doubt them for a moment. Even the Romans, who were contemporaries of Christ, there's not much evidence, but we believe them. Um, putting aside Christian witness, which of course can be self-fulfilling, if you look at pagan and Jewish writers, so Tacitus and, and Pliny and Josephus, um, they, they don't believe he was the Messiah, but they write about him constantly. Josephus may have been changed by later Christian writers, but if you go back to the original of Josephus, the original, he, is, he refers to Jesus uh, repeatedly. I mean, there is no... Anyone who says this, I mean, again, a little knowledge is not only a dangerous thing, but a very annoying thing. Uh, they, they think they're being clever. Well, we don't even know if he existed. Now, we do know he existed. You can question whether you believe he was a son of God or not, and I'll take you on on that one. But there is no argument about the existence of Jesus. Uh, there were so many people who, who wrote about him and documented his life. Do any of these uh, documents, whether it's Josephus or or any of the others, discuss or mention the the resurrection? Well, obviously, uh, Christian uh, writers refer to it directly, but others, yes, they do refer to. They don't say, uh, and he then came alive again. They say his followers believe he came alive again. So I'm not going to sit here and claim that, look, if pagan writers said, and this Jesus is crucified and then rose from the dead, they would obviously become Christian and say, we believe in this, in, in the resurrection. If you believe in that, you, you will then believe, obviously, in Christ. So they didn't say that, but they do refer to, and his believers, and his followers do believe this. Uh, yes, I mean, this was, if you look at some of the anti-Christian writings from the fairly early first century uh, in Rome, um, you, they, they, they talk about this, how the Christians are so foolish that they... They believe that their, their, their Messiah, their, their God, has risen from the dead. One of the, uh, one of the, the chapters I enjoyed most, actually, is, is Christians are opposed to science. And, uh, uh, you know, so much now is made of the, the, the ongoing debate as, as whether, you know, uh, creation should be taught alongside evolution in, in the public school system. Let me, let me get you to weigh in on that, first of all, before we discuss uh, uh, chapter 7. Well, it's a difficult one because um, most Christians aren't calling for this. It's a, a fairly small group in, in specific parts of the United States, and they tend to get a great deal of publicity and exposure. Um, there was a split in evangelical Christianity, I suppose, uh, around 100 years ago, and many people rejected modernity and became fundamentalist. And they do believe in the literal truth of, of Scripture. And, leaving no room for metaphor, and I reject that. And so they believe often that the Earth is 6,000 years old and uh, man coexisted with dinosaurs. But this is not mainstream Christian belief. Well, I believe in intelligent design. I believe God created the world. I don't exactly know how, and I'm the first person to say that, and most Christians would, would agree with me. So I don't know if... Uh, I have no objection to evolution being taught. I think evolution, it, it should be explained that it is a theory. Uh, I mean, it's, there are people today, not Christians, they're just people in the field of science who have some doubts about the conventional thinking on evolution. Um, but I, I don't think that evolution and Christianity are mutually exclusive. One of the most often cited examples of, of the Church uh, uh, attempting to, to uh, suppress scientific knowledge is obviously that of Galileo. Yeah, that, uh, yeah. Is there some truth to that? No, it, it's 
The reason that is the one that he, he is the one is because it's the only, but the only scientist that people can think of who the church didn't teach, uh, didn't treat properly. You know, remember he, a close contemporary or near contemporary was Copernicus, who was a bishop. Uh, you think of Louis Pasteur saying the rosary every day, of Isaac Newton, uh, the physicist before Einstein being a devout Anglican. You think of Michael Faraday. You, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Um, the father of DNA. I think uh, the Christian Church has been the handmaiden of science, and the people who are opposing today's scientific discovery tend to be the far left, the animal liberation people, and, and so on. Galileo. Um, his personal sponsor and patron was a cardinal who then became pope. So he was fed by, housed by, cared for by the Catholic Church. Uh, but it was when Galileo, not speaking about science, but writing about theology, that was when he got into trouble. He wanted to pronounce on matters of faith and theology, and the church said to him, well, no, science, please, that's our field, theology. And he said no. And at that point, yes, the church did threaten him. And they've apologized for that. Uh, but that's about the only scientists people know of, were, and they don't know much about the subject, they, but they think, ah, we can talk about Galileo. There's one person, um, and it really wasn't about his scientific work at all, compared to all the rest. The astronomers, um, these were all Christian institutions. You know, there's a trend today to, to glorify Islam, and we learn from, from, from Islam. Well, that's not actually true. Um, Islam had learned a lot from the ancient pre-Christian world of, of Greece, in particular, but also Rome. And they had translated it often through Jewish uh, scholars and authors who translated the works for them. But it wasn't specifically Islamic. And Christianity certainly went through a bleaker period. But no, we, when we look at medieval Europe and, and Christianity of the Renaissance, this is where the Greek learning really catches on. Michael Corrin is the author of Heresy, uh, Ten Lies They Spread About Christianity, and of course, previous to that, uh, the best-selling Why Catholics Are Right. You have sort of uh, cast yourself in the role of, of uh, defender of the faith. Why now, specifically? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I don't know why that really happened. I didn't actually choose it, but um, of course, that, that, was, uh, that, that was a title given to Henry VIII, so I should be a little careful. <laughs> <laughs> but your um, wife should be a little careful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, the, I didn't choose it. It, it, it. I've always been, I mean, for, for, since I came in, 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 into the church as a Christian, um, I've, wa I've always wanted to defend what I thought was truth, and I think this is truth. And, and it, it's so often attacked. You know, you can be pretty much what you want to be uh, in the public square, but if, if you're a conservative, or and particularly if you're a Christian, then you're attacked. And, you know, I, I'll write a, a very moderate column on issues of morality or life or sexuality, and you're called an extremist and you're threatened and people hate you and they scream about you. And uh, you know you're doing the right thing. You just have to touch, to scratch a little, and this, 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 this venom appears. So uh, it can be a very banal world, the world of journalism and media, arguing about rates of income tax or very slight changes in foreign policy. I mean, frankly, who cares? But the more fundamental issues of, of what we're about, where we will spend eternity, I, I think, you know, the, the, these are far more interesting than just getting very excited about Quebec threatening to separate again. Agreed. I mean, ultimately, it's the only subject that matters. Uh, one of the things that I've struggled with, and, and I am by no means... Um, you know, a student of the Bible, I, I would, uh, this is something that I obviously uh, recognize in my life that is lacking and that I need to pay more attention to, but uh, a cursory glance, uh, even of the Bible, and then others have brought it up to me, is that why doesn't a Jesus in the New Testament 
talk about slavery. Why doesn't he condemn slavery? Well, I think, I mean, he, does, he doesn't talk about uh, everything. In fact, he talks about very few things. He doesn't write anything at all. But I think he does talk about slavery, and he talks about universal brotherhood, and he talks about love and forgiveness, and, um, and a form of equality, really, as well. And then, of course, when it comes to the, the, the letters written by his followers that, that compose the New Testament, what they say about slavery, um, slavery was a huge institution in the ancient world, and they know it can't be abolished overnight. So what they say is, if you have a slave, treat that slave like a son, give him full rights of inheritance, and make sure he's a loved member of the family. In other words, what they're saying is abolish slavery from within. Make sure it's not really slavery. Uh, this relationship between you and slave as between you, you and Christ, it's, it's one of love. So I think the, the New Testament does talk about slavery and does condemn it, which is why all of the great opponents and critics of slavery, both in North America and Britain, of course, were Christians. And Jesus himself, I mean, everything about Jesus, what, what he said, what, what he preached, the way he acted, uh, will be absolutely contrary to enslaving people just because you can, because of their race, because of their lack of power, because they're, they're, they've been lost and they've, they've lost a battle or a war. He speaks about forgiveness and love and brotherhood. So I think that is certainly a comment about slavery. Uh, talk to me about the the role of people like William Wilberforce and uh, their uh, any abolitionist movement that was taken up at, at a very unpopular time by evangelical Christians. Yeah, I devote a chapter in the book to this because. Uh, and it's interesting that shortly after the publication of the book, that extremist lunatic bully Dan Savage, the man who ironically began the It Gets Better campaign, yes, it does, Dan, when you stop bullying people, uh, in front of about a thousand kids, a captive audience, he was personally abusive and, and condemned the Bible as a handbook of slavery. Um, William Wilberforce led the campaign in Britain to abolish slavery with a number of followers, including John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, and William Clarkson. And they were, as you say, evangelical Christians. And um, they, they began a campaign with huge physical opposition and political opposition. It took years. They eventually abolished slavery. And in the United States, you know, for example, the song John Brown's Body, I mean, John Brown was a fundamentalist Christian. John Brown was a man who used violence, he and his family, to actually attack and kill slavers and free slaves. And people don't realize that today. And the people who were pushing Lincoln to sign the Declaration and, and to use force if necessary. These people were Christians. Um, throughout the world, the fight against slavery was Christian at a time when, and this should be remembered, the Muslim world supported slavery, and the Muslim world still does support slavery. There is still slavery, and uh, it happens in Africa, and it happens in the, in the, in the Islamic world. Slavery is, is accepted in Islam. It is not accepted in Christianity. But if you follow popular media, you'd think the opposite was the case. As a Christian in the West, do you fear the Islamization, uh, the, uh, the, uh, uh, I, I can't even say the word, Islam, Islamification of, of, of this country? Is, or is that, is that dangerous to think that? No, I don't think it is dangerous to think that. Um, there's a difference between Islam and Muslims. And everybody must be treated with respect. Uh, we're all made in the image of God, but we have to ask some very fundamental questions about fundamentalism. <laughs> Uh, do we really believe that uh, Islam is compatible with Western pluralism? Uh, I don't know. It, it seems to me that, uh, take a country like Turkey, uh, the less Islamic Turkey was, the more tolerant and pluralistic it was. When, it, when Turkey became more Islamic, as it has done the past five or six years, 
Turkey is becoming increasingly intolerant. There are more journalists in prison in Turkey than any other country on earth. Um, you look at other countries. Iran under the Shah had many problems. The Shah was dictatorial. But my golly, the secret police under the Shah were a fraction of the size of what they are now. There is mass slaughter in Iran. 6,000 gay men have been executed, many of them publicly, in Iran simply for being homosexual. Um, no, it seems to me that the more Islamic a country becomes, the less tolerant and, and, and more forbidding it is. And what is very worrying about Islamic uh, diaspora communities in the Western world is that their parents and grandparents seem to want to become part of mainstream society. It's the second and third generations have become radicalized. And you're having terrorist attacks beginning uh, not in Pakistan or Saudi Arabia, but in, in Yorkshire in England and in Mississauga, Canada. Michael, one of the, uh, the, the final chapters, not the final chapter, but one is uh, Christians are obsessed with abortion. And I read that and I thought, well, okay, but if there's something that, you know, if there's anything one should be obsessed about, it should be the, 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 the slaughter, the genocide of, of, of unborn children. Isn't that true? We, we are or ought to be obsessed with abortion. Well, that's a, that's a very good way of putting it. What I was trying to say there was obsession uh, implies something very negative. And what I, say, what I say in the chapter is we're not obsessed with abortion as much as we're deeply committed to the, the protection of unborn human life, of the most vulnerable, and that is those in the womb. What is meant to be the safest place, the womb, has become a slaughterhouse. Uh, it's not really even Christian. It's simply moral and scientific. Life begins at conception. There's no other scientific definition for the beginning of life at the point of conception that that child has a completely distinct DNA and genomic character. It might not look like a baby, but then a, a 20-year-old doesn't look like, like a baby, and a 55-year-old doesn't look like a 5-year-old. And we don't always look the same, but we are life. It's not potential life. It is life. Um, I'm, I'm in my mid-50s. I hope to make 60. Uh, you wouldn't say he has the potential to be 60. You would assume I would be, unless there was a terrible tragedy. Well, the same is the case for the unborn child. It's a life, and it, it will be born unless there is a... Uh, an unnatural tragedy, an intervention of a so-called doctor to, to end life. I think Christians feel it more because we're part of an institution given by God who made us all. If, for example, God forbid, um, a man, say, lost his wife, she died, it would, objectively speaking, be a tragedy. But he would feel it far more than anybody else. Well, I believe that abortion is, objectively speaking, a tragedy, but Christians seem to feel it more than other people. Uh, what's next for, uh, for you, Michael? What are you working on these days? Uh, the next book will be a book called Marriage, a Defense, um, and it, it's an explanation of what marriage is and what marriage isn't. And uh, it's, this subject is probably the, the most difficult because um, I've always tried to be as respectful as possible towards gay people on this issue, and I have no hatred in me. Uh, but I do find that there are gay radicals and their friends, often who are not gay, who are extremely violent and, 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 and unpleasant and threatening and abusive whenever you take on this issue. But we have to, because marriage is the union of one man and one woman. Gay people can do what they want to do. It's their lives. It's I may have a moral uh, response to that, but that's my business. But marriage is not a human right. It's a social institution. Marriage is meant to be child-centered, and uh, it is under attack. Now, do I think we can win this one back? Not in Canada. I think it's pretty much lost. Uh, it can still be held on to in other parts of the world. Um, I think in, in, certainly in Eastern Europe, the European community is probably going to break up at some point and they, they'll stop uh, dictating their views to people. And, and the battle, of course, is on in the United States too. But it's very sad that 
the billions of dollars that uh, huge Hollywood and their friends can put into this uh, can change uh, a fundamental of civilized society. People have never been able to think about it or vote about it or consider it. They've just been indoctrinated by, by movies and TV shows, and that, that's a great tragedy. Well, uh, in the meantime, we have heresy, 10 lies they spread about Christianity, uh, flying around uh, Western Canada the last couple of weeks, and I'm seeing it in uh, in the airport bookstores, and people I see uh, people in every bookstore picking it up, thumbing through it. This one, I think, Michael, is, uh, is really going to do well for you if it hasn't already. Oh, that's very kind of you. All right, my friend. Uh, in the meantime, we can see you um, weeknights on The Arena on Sun News Network. What times? Uh, 7 p.m. repeated at midnight. That, that's Eastern time. So 7 p.m. at midnight in Ontario and so on and in the West at other times. And if, if people want more details, if they just go to my website, which is michaelcorin.com, and if they want to pick up the book, um, I mean, the bookstores, but also Amazon, amazon.ca. They, they're so quick these days. They get the book to you in about a day. So it's they're terrific. Good talking to you, my friend. Thank you, as ever. Michael Corrin. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Curiosity? Or did the devil make you do it? Whatever the reason, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. The truth will set you free, but first, it'll really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Welcome back. A few days ago, there was a, a crop circle uh, discovered in Roswell, New Mexico, of course, and uh, there are those who, who connect the crop circle phenomenon with uh, aliens. If you've seen the movie Signs, of course, uh, that makes a certain amount of sense, I suppose. Uh, that particular uh, crop circle uh, has now been uh, uh, claimed to be a hoax. Uh, a couple of individuals said they did it uh, in the middle of the night, two of them, uh, the, sort of the, the classic way, uh, boards uh, strapped to their feet, pushing down the oats, and... Uh, uh, a lot of people sit back and say, ah, there you see, again, crop circles, man-made hoax. Well, uh, not so fast, because, in fact, this is a worldwide phenomenon. I believe to date nearly 30 countries around the world uh, have reported crop circles. About 90% or more are in southern England. Uh, but they also go back a very long way, and uh, unless... Uh, people have been strapping boards to their feet for uh, to their feet for for hundreds of years, and uh, racing around the globe, uh, making these incredibly intricate uh, uh, crop circles, or as some refer to them, agroglyphs. I'm not buying it. I don't think these are all hoaxes. A, a certain number certainly are, uh, but how to explain the rest? Well, there are two people on this planet, I think, know more about crop circles than just about anyone else. One is uh, Freddie Silva, who's been on the program a number of times, and the other is about to join me right now. She's a filmmaker and a researcher, and she didn't mean to be a filmmaker until she delved into the crop circle phenomenon. Suzanne Taylor has been investigating the crop circle phenomenon and believes our materialistic worldview hampers serious investigation of one of the greatest mysteries of our time. Indeed, it is a great mystery. Suzanne says that knowing the circles come from intelligence, 
would help us think as a planet and solve many problems that we face. And she is, of course, responsible for the Crop Circle uh, documentary, award-winning Crop Circle documentary called What in the World Inside the Crop Circle Mystery. Suzanne Taylor, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Well, I'm fine, Richard. It's What on Earth is the name of the movie. What did I call it? Did I say say anything about me but get my name right? I'm sorry. Did I say What in the World? Yes, What on Earth. My apologies. But that would have been a good name. I mean, you know, (laughs) that would have worked. (laughs) Shame on me. And I have several copies uh, on on my desk here. So, What on Earth, yes. Now, this came out about 2009, as I recall. In fact, I had yes, you on the, the end program. Of 2009, the... Yes, correct. and you, I mean, that you were picking up plenty of hardware for that one. Lots of awards, uh, you know, documentary uh, uh, awards. What's what's going on with that film now? What do you? Uh... Well, first of all, the nicest thing, you know, in addition to some uh, statutes, is that we got a great review in the New York Times, and. The New York Times had not even mentioned crop circles for decades, and it was like the miracle review. They sent the right reviewer, and, uh, oh, I can't tell you how pleased we were to get that. <laughs> yeah, talk about, um, I mean, normally the mainstream media uh, approaches this whole field with tongue-in-cheek, so you really broke through the glass ceiling. Well, tongue-in-cheek is the least of it. I mean, they're so cynical and so critical and so, you know, really... Uh, it's some in some little unpleasant. <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, I just hold up my New York Times review. I say, you know, yes, look at this. So, how did you How did you uh, uh, get into this research? I mean, you, as you say, you didn't mean you didn't intend to become a filmmaker, but that when you saw when you became in, involved in this issue, you you wanted to tell the world. So, but how did you get into crop circle uh, research? Well, I was always interested in the way we think. And always concerned about, you know, the world being in some difficulty because the way we think is much more constricted and narrow about who we are and what we're doing here than uh, there was evidence, you know, that, that, that there's much more to life. I mean, consciousness itself is not a subject that um, we acknowledge at a scientific level and science is the way we run our world. So things that are... Um, quite significant to all of us are marginalized and uh, we're stuck in a world that now we're, we're all realizing is in real trouble uh, and and the trouble we're in is because fundamentally of our worldview you know it's fingers in the dike to fix all the problems that challenge us now but if we change the way we think and we didn't think as separate uh, oppositional violent um, if we thought of ourselves in partnership as one humanity, we could really uh, be in the best shape to address all the problems from, from the ones that nature throws at us to the ones we create ourselves. And I was always interested in that. How could we bust out of this limited thinking? Uh, so I was producing a, a programs and events on other subjects um, that could change the way we think when the crop circles just came along. and. Uh, accidentally came into my world. Um, a friend had a son stationed in the military in England in the 80s, actually, who would go out on his leave and take pictures of crop circles. At the time, in England, they were calling them landing pads for UFOs. And I saw the pictures, and, well, as you know, it, it, crop circles are quite impressive, and it, especially if you've never seen one before. I saw a whole album of them, and I thought, my, what is that? So I got intrigued, and it became another subject matter. 
and which I was, you know, making making events happen. You know, I'm in I'm in L.A., which is the one of the crossroads of the world. Everybody passes through L.A., so we had crop circle researchers passing through, and I would snare them, and produce programs with them. And the more I learned, just the more drawn in I got, thinking, wow, I really... So I finally went to England in 1993, was my first trip, actually. And when I got back in 96 from another trip, I I actually made a vow. And I said, you know, if my life is going to amount to anything that's unique and how I might really change the world... It's because I will tell the world about crop circles. <laughs> so that's been my mission ever since. And, um, you know, it really feels good to know something that really could make a difference. Uh, I'm very grateful to the fact that I, you know, I'm aware of what's going on. And, uh, and it is so promising to really impact people. But, of course, they have to know about it first. And not, not just from what the, you know, ordinary media is telling us, uh, which is, radically unreported, underreported, inaccurately reported. So here I am. I'm your little truth teller about crop circles. What on earth inside the crop circle mystery, Suzanne Taylor is with us. And if you'd like, there's uh, there's a trailer for uh, the uh, the doc. It's co- uh, on uh, cropcirclemovie.com, www.cropcirclemovie.com. Uh, the... The, um, the process that you went through in order to make the connection between these elaborate geometric designs that are found in farmers' fields, primarily in southern England, some here in Canada. Uh, you know, you said 30 countries, Richard. I think they're up to about 50 now. Is it 50? Yeah, My it word. was 40 when I made the movie, actually. And uh, we don't have a good place to collect everything, unfortunately. We don't have a center. We used to, and it disbanded. And the hoaxers create a lot of um, antagonism and kind of, you know, sizzly energy that's that's not cooperative. They did their job and, very well, didn't they? Yeah, they do their job well, right. Um, so um, we have not had a really central organizing place where we can collect information, but I think the count is somewhere between 40 and 50 now, okay. and about half of them are in England. Yeah. You, you, you'd said 90%. No, it's about half it's in England. It's half now. The, the last I'd heard, it was, it was around, uh, yeah, okay, so it's changing. Well, it changes. The landscape has changed. Change. And then but, the rest of them are scattered, you know, but the phenomenon is England. You've got the essence of it right, which is that's where we can study them. We know every year that we're going to get them in this small area so that people um, come from all over the world, actually, who are the researchers. Uh, They take the pictures, they produce the conferences, they write books, they make movies. And every summer they congregate in England because they know they're going to have a subject to study there. So, you know, the essence of it is really what's important. Why are you convinced? It is England. Suzanne, why are you convinced that they are, these crop circles are connected to some sort of intelligence? Well, you know, the most... um, telling evidence is what we all take our reality from, which is science. Um, There have been very sophisticated studies done. In fact, Lawrence Rockefeller uh, had his own foundation. He was a very progressive funder, one of the Rockefeller brothers, and um, he had his own foundation, and he was uh, one of the funders of um, some very, very sophisticated studies that were studying the plants and the soil from inside crop circles to see what you know they could what they could discover uh, about the effects that were being produced, and what they discovered was that we can't do that. I mean, there are things that you know the the studies turned up, 
And they were written up in peer-reviewed papers, went into science journals, peer-reviewed science journals, excuse me, peer-reviewed science journals, um, no, peer-reviewed papers that went into science journals, uh, um, that really attested to the fact that we had a real mystery on our hands, that we could not account for it. Um, so, you know, science is our God, and uh, blessings on science for affirming the fact that we, we have something that you cannot produce these effects on Earth. The the yields, the crop yields inside a crop circle, let's say in a subsequent year, a subsequent harvest, uh, were there studies that show that the, the yields increase inside the circle? You know, one there isn't a study by the science people, but there was a guy named Steve Perkapel who's still with us. He's an American, and he took seed from uh, inside a mysterious circle, one that had been ascertained, you know, by science to not be accountable. Uh, and he grew successive crops for nine years. And each year he would get these startlingly, you know, unusual uh, larger yields. And he was really very uh, gung-ho on providing the world with a food source. And then there was a fire and all of his material uh, was burned several years ago, and um, he now talks about it. <laughs> he was just at a MUFON meeting in where somewhere in the Midwest, um, and, but uh, we 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 don't have his seed anymore, unfortunately. Uh, but I can just tell you that that anecdotal story, which I guess has to be anecdotal now, um, indeed was what was happening. And and the 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 chemistry uh, of of the um, of the plants inside the uh, the crop circle. What's going on with the plants? Well, there are changes, biological changes to the plants, and chemical changes to the soil. Let me take you to the soil first, because that was really the most impressive study, um, where they ascertained that there was an effect on the clay minerals in the soil. One of the one of the you know elements in, in the soil that that could only have been produced um, by, um, so by, by samples that might have been taken from way down deep beneath the Earth's surface where the heat from the bottom and the pressure from the top had worked on it for, what, millions of years and produced this um, mineral chemical uh, result. But there it was in the surface of a crop circle. That was a very expensive study with several scientists working on it. And the result was astonishing. In terms of the plants, there are a lot of different effects. There's uh, effects uh, that, oh, we show you in my movie. Get my movie, you'll see some of these effects. What on uh, Earth, Inside the but, Crop Circle Mystery, yes. Yes, yeah. What on Earth, Inside the Crop Circle Mystery, and CropCircleMovie.com is where you go to get it. Um, but there are a whole array of things that happen to the seed, to the stalks, to the uh, nodes that connect the different sections of the stalks. They all have these very strange effects um, that, again, can't be accounted for. And, and uh, people, again, point to, you know, Doug and Dave in the, uh, the early... Uh, 90s in England who, who came out and said, well, we're responsible for the crop circle. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh -huh. uh, you know, strapping <laughs> boards to their feet. Explain how you, these, these crop circles that we can't account for in terms of their origin, explain why they can't be hoaxed by simply strapping boards to your feet and stomping around on the barley or the oats. Well, um, as I say, you know, take it into the laboratory, which of course you can't for, you know, it's expensive to do that. But all you need is, you know, 
we, we're uncertain as to how many are hoax. The hoaxes have gotten better over the years. They've gotten good geometers. It used to be easier to tell the difference because the geometry was so bad. And you go, oh, yeah, really? But now they've actually acquired good geometers. And um, it, 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 it is not so definitive. Now, you can get on your hands and knees in a crop circle. And there are certain things you can see. Uh, there is a bending to the plants that is unnatural, whereas uh, the hoaxers break them. They stomp them down and they crunch, you know. Uh, when the, we have your natural phenomenon uh, in the early crop, in the green crop, that still has a lot of tension in it, uh, they don't break. In fact, you know, there were two uh, formations in young pine trees with like three-inch thick trunks that went over in right angles. Well, please. <laughs> I mean, that just doesn't happen. Um, so, you know, you do, uh, and what you really actually are looking for are the signs of hoaxers because they do leave telltale signs. Um, the the uh, crunching of the crop, the breakage of the crop, the three uh, foot wide stomping board uh, sections that go down. Uh, whereas the ones that are not done by stomping boards are like a, uh, just like a carpet. You know, there's no sectionality to them. Oh, I think I made up that word. But, um, you know, they're just a smooth carpet. And you'll, you, actually, we have a beautiful picture of the difference between the interior of a human-made circle. And this one actually was uh, something made for advertising. Uh, it, it's a Hello Kitty one. And, uh, you know, from the air... You can't tell the difference. Uh, as long as crop is down, you're not seeing the lay at all in the aerials. Uh, so that when you take aerials, you know, oh yeah, that's an interesting pattern. And particularly when uh, the good geometers have you know, been working with the hoaxers and they go, whoa, that looks quite real. But when you get into the formations, um, you know, and you see this kind of messy, jaggedy, you know, uh, uh, unattractive uh, lay of the crop, it's so different from when the the real deal is going on, and you you know it's like a thousand carpet layers would have come in and smoothed them all out together. So and given enough time in one of these uh, uh, unhoaxed now I've made up a word uh, unhoaxed crop circles, given enough time the if I understand or remember correctly the the actual crops will will eventually sort of spring back up. Is well, that... that's when they're green. You know, that's yeah. when there's still life left in them. But sometimes they arrive just, you know, the, the week they're going to be harvested. They don't have any spring left in them at all. Um, but indeed, the, the green crop, there's no damage to it at all. It'll just turn right back up. Phototropism will take over, and the farmer will get his crop if people haven't walked in them. You know, there's, there's, there's circles that come in the backcountry, so to speak, and people don't get at them. They sometimes don't even find them till they harvest um, but, you know, there's such a tourist attraction now, uh, not to mention researchers, but when, when, when a crop circle appears, I mean, it's, it's almost funny, you know, everybody races in their cars and now they have GPS coordinates that used to be, you'd have to kind of search, well, it's over the third hill. And when you get to the phone booth, you take a right. And, you know, there used to be a lot of searching going on, but in our modern, uh, you know, technological age, uh, they they give out the GPS coordinates so everybody knows where to race to. <laughs> what well, was it not revealed that Doug and Dave may have been put up to this? Uh, these are the two hoaxers. They, they yeah. were put up to this by perhaps MI6. Well, these were our original hoaxers, um, 
and um, we do a lot on them in the movie. Uh, it's almost our comic relief. Some of the claims were so absurd, uh, and we kind of treat them that way. But indeed, when they tracked down, well, first of all, let's just say that a press release went out that went all over the world because the phenomenon was very popular before Doug and Dave as a mystery. And all the world press was carrying it as, as it should, as this just incredible situation going on in England at the time. It was all concentrated in England uh, in the early years, or if they were elsewhere, we weren't getting reports. I mean, it was such a brand new phenomenon and such a, you know, an attractive sort of thing uh, that when now all of a sudden, this was 1991, uh, when Doug and Dave came along and a press release went out. Now, wait a second. We have two farmers from nowhere in England and a press release went out all over the world that said they had made them all. What? <laughs> Can you? I can't get a press release out all over the world. And I'm a lot more sophisticated than Doug and Dave were. Uh, but indeed, uh, all the newspapers all over the world, hoax revealed, finally, don't have to think about this anymore. Uh, but as we track, this, I, I hate to do a spoiler, but we do track where the press release came from. I won't say, actually. You have to buy my movie. But um, indeed, it did come from official sources. Strange that, uh, uh, yes, official sources. What is it they you, don't... You can also see my movie on iTunes, by the way. If you don't want to spend 20 bucks, you can spend the three ninety nine on iTunes. Just look for what on earth. <laughs> All right. Uh, listen, why don't we take a time out? We'll come back. We'll uh, continue to delve into uh, uh, Doug and Dave and the Crop Circle a phenomenon. Suzanne Taylor, a Crop Circle documentary producer. What on earth? Inside the Crop Circle mystery. Check it out. CropCircleMovie.com. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show, AM 740. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Uh, get on board this conversation. Uh, again, the phone numbers to participate. And, you know, not too far from here, up in Georgetown, Ontario, uh, we have... Um, Periodically, some crop circles discovered. 416-360-0740. 416-360-0740. And toll-free from Maine to Minnesota, Thunder Bay to the Carolinas. one 740 What do you think crop circles are? Uh, now, Suzanne, the, um, the designs, these geometric designs, they seem to be getting more complex. I mean, around the mid-90s, we had uh, these these crop circles that seem to be based on fractals. And you had, uh, th there was one, I someone actually did this study, um, I think it was in the late 90s in, in West Overton, there was a formation, and when you cut it out, when you cut out this design, and you folded it together, you get a three-dimensional shape. It was like an octahedron or something. What, what, what's going on with these, uh, these, uh, these uh, crop circles? They, are they evolving? Well, you know, that's kind of like contact. Remember, they had to cut the thing together, and I, it's been a long time since I've seen that movie. But indeed, they, they play with all sorts of uh, very interesting ways to uh, deliver these uh, shapes. And in fact, they're so clever 
that if you talk to the geometers in England who are uh, very, very good at geometry, it has attracted some of the best geometers in the world, actually. And when you ask them, well, could you uh, design something as, what, interesting or, or complex or what have you? How, how would you do if you uh, had to design a, a crop circle? Could you be, do something comparable to what the good ones are? And what they will tell you is, you know, the designers, whoever they may be, are so clever about how they introduce geometric ideas into uh, the formations. For instance, fractals. You mentioned fractals. That's just one pattern group. And what generally happens is once you get um, a unique kind of uh, design, like a fractal, then thereafter, every year, you'll get some kind of iterations that will be in that same sort of uh, pattern group without ever duplicating. Uh, and so, uh, so let me just say something about fractals and then say what the geometers say over there. A fractal is an infinite pattern. It doesn't stop. But a crop circle stops, you know. It's just a design. It doesn't go on forever. And so in order to deliver what we recognize as a fractal, the designers had to be very clever as artists. How would you cap off a fractal? How would you interpret the ending of a fractal that never ends? And they did it in incredibly clever fashion. So when you say to the geometers over there, could you design something comparable to the really good crop circles, what they say is, you know, I don't know if we could design the ideas that they deliver when they come up with something new uh, that is just so astonishing and, and, and satisfying and attractive and whatever. Once they've delivered an idea, we could probably do something in that pattern group. You know, we could do our own variation on it. But boy, we are, uh, you know, on our knees in homage to the cleverness of the designers who, deli who deliver these unique ideas. And have they been evolving? Well, you know, there's play going on uh, where they keep changing. Uh, yeah, there's been more what you might consider intricacy and complexity. But in fact, if you go back to the early designs, and we do actually a big um, number on this in our movie, uh, there were, they were um, designs that seemed relatively simple. But when the early geometers started to study them, they noticed that what really, you know, seemed random, let's say, there were, there were elements early on that they're not all mandalas now, but many of them are. But in early designs, they looked more sort of free form, and a lot of them did. And you'd look and say, oh, uh -huh, uh -huh. but then the geometers came along, and they, they, they figured out, oh my gosh, these are so sophisticated. That what's going on in these things, actually we do a lot of this in the movie. We do a lot on a certain pattern group that squared the circle, which is an old mathematical conundrum or challenge that's been around forever in, in the world of mathematics. And um, prior to uh, work that was done on the circles, 
in the world literature, there were maybe half a dozen instances of these designs that squared the circle, where uh, a circle and a square within a given construct, geometric construct, if you opened it up, it would be actually the same. Same, the circumference and uh, of them both would be exactly the same. And you know, it's a it's a it's a trick, you know, to do in your designing. Well, when they looked at these early crop circles, and they were all kind of variations on five spots just like I said there were variations on fractals these were early ones that were variations on five spots with the center like a five spot on the dice uh, but all different big centers further from the center with the four satellites whatever all different and they analyzed some 50 of them and they discovered that all 50 of them squared the circle they all did this little mathematical trick and it's not always obvious because you're looking at a five spot, but when you do the geometry, you put in lines that are not, you know, that you'd erase, let's say, before you put your pattern down. But in order to construct that pattern, you had to do it with uh, compass and straight edge and whatever. And there are many lines that uh, don't appear in the final thing that goes in the fields. But all of them, all of these five spots, they all squared the circle. So from six examples in world literature, we got 50 more all of a sudden, attesting to the very to the sophistication of even the early designs, um, which really just you know knocked us out when 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 we discovered that. What's happening inside? If you step inside a crop circle on the ground. What have you experienced, Suzanne? Well, you know, different people have different experiences. I'm a head person. I'm a mental person. And so I just go into awe. How can this be? I, you know, you're standing in the middle of a miracle. Other people have physical effects. Um, sometimes, uh, somebody says this in, in my film, that when he approaches a circle, sometimes the energy is too strong and he just is repelled and he doesn't go in. Um, and there are people who go in and, you know, feel all kinds of bodily reactions, uh, mostly good, sometimes not good. Sometimes they make people a little sick and they leave. Uh, so something's going on with the energy. You know, a lot of um, electromagnetic uh, effects occur where you have a fully charged battery and you go into a circle, uh, you have no battery. Uh, we show, we, we have... Uh, some of some uh, illustrations or, or people talk about some of the situations in the movie where a film crew but when they were using film in the early days um, did a lot of filming in a circle from a television station and when they got back to the station they had white light on the film no 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 image that nothing like that had ever happened before so something's going on in the electromagnetic field uh, that's you know doing something and some people I guess are sensitive to that um, and uh, you know you you and, and then there have even been some healings in I mean you wouldn't go to crop circles like you'd go to Lourdes for instance you wouldn't go because you expect to get healed but but some really startling things have happened to people we actually talk about some of that in the movie as well uh, where people have had real physical uh, you know very positive effects in fact some of them so startling I was a little bit afraid to put that in the movie I thought nobody's gonna believe this except my criteria for what I put in the movie of these kind of strange things uh, was that I had to know the people to whom these things happened. They weren't going to be third-hand stories that I'd heard such and such said that so-and-so, whatever. I was talking to people who actually were involved, who had these effects happen to them. And so I felt like, well, at least I know that these things are real. And um, so I was more you know, comfortable. Put but you, cause you can't not put these things in. They're part of the phenomenon, you know.
Are, uh, isn't there a group of um, uh, some some people call them circle chasers in England, and they I guess they're somewhat intuitive, but they're able to predict when crop circles will appear, or they can sort of summon them. Uh, oh, okay. Well, there's a couple of things to say about that. There's only one person that fits that criteria that you describe, but you're really talking about something a little bit related to that. The person who fits that criteria is in the Netherlands, and he's actually uh, a uh, a source of study for the science people. They study him because, indeed, he knows when they're coming, and they come around him in the Netherlands, uh, which is another one of... The Netherlands and Germany, and lately Italy, have actually gotten some fair number of crop circles, not as many as England, but other countries will get one or two or, you know, a season. But, but the Netherlands has, has gotten a fair amount during certain seasons, and they cluster around this guy who will say, uh, there's one coming, and sometimes he knows exactly the field, and he knows the shape before it appears. Now what you're talking about probably is what you saw in my movie, which I give you some examples of like people meditating and asking for a shape. And indeed, they get it. That's another of those things where I wouldn't, I didn't put anything in except when I knew the people who'd been involved, you know, I didn't have it somebody's stories that I couldn't authenticate. But, you know, I trust the people who are my buddies. And when they tell me this is what they did, I trust that that's what happened. And it happens a lot. Um, I mean, even things like you drive by in a car full of people and you drive by a field and you go, boy, that would be it. We've never had a crop circle in that field. The next day there's a crop circle there. I, it's very bizarre, but it happens. Suzanne Taylor is uh, with us and uh, the documentary is What on Earth? Inside the Crop Circle Mystery. Uh, now, the... Um there was a famous a crop circle, and you can maybe bring us up to date whether it's been uh, uh, debunked or not, but um, it took place in, um, on the Chibolton Radio Telescope grounds in Hampshire, England. And th- oh, yes, this... I was in that. I was one of the first ones in that. Oh, one. were you? Okay, so yeah. then you'll tell, tell us all about this rather strange agroglyph because it certainly resembles the image that was taken by the 1976 Viking uh, probe. It's an image of what appears to be the face on Mars. So, what can you tell us about this? Mm-hmm. This, uh, this well, part? there's actually two in that same field that came in within a week or so of one another, and they're both rather startling. And uh, I would have loved to have actually. I have a shot of that in my movie, but we don't say anything about it because the story was too long. You know, you can just do so much in one film, um, and I did not put the story in. But there's a face that indeed looks like the face on Mars. Uh, it's made in. Uh, dot matrix you know the way newsprint is if you uh put a magnifying glass on newsprint it's all little dots little big whatever that's how you get your image well that's how this image is formed so when you were standing in it you just saw these dots and actually the the crop swirled beautifully around them on the ground but what are these dots there was no way on earth to discern what it looked like from the air um, when you're in a complex one that's geometric, you really can't tell the shape, but you know, you know, oh, this is going to be geometry, and we're going to, you know, oh, I can tell there's a triangle over there, there's what, you had no idea what this was until you got above it, and you saw the shots from the air, and there's this face, ah, but then the other one in the same field um, was um, a um, rectangular uh Facsimile, what am I going to, what's the word? Uh, In 1976, we sent a uh, message out into space. Carl Sagan had a hand in designing it. Oh, and the SETI, yes. 
from the, it was the, the largest radio telescope in the world. It was a commemoration of, I think, an improvement to it or the building of it or whatever in Arecibo in uh, Puerto Rico. And uh, they put it, you know, the way they do capsules where, you know, if they discover them millions of years from now, people will know what was on Earth. Well, they sent out in binary code uh, the, a lot of information about us. Uh, that we have, uh, we're the third planet from the sun, how many planets in our solar system, our table of elements, how tall we are, a lot of information, basic information on Earth. And uh, it wasn't even going to uh, reach any, um, in anything in the solar system like a, a sun or a planet or whatever. It wasn't going to reach anything for 250 years. Well, that was 1976, and in 2001 we got the, quote, response. It was exactly the same shape. In each um, part of it, we had information about not us, but the sender. So, for instance, there's a little image of us in the one we sent out, and uh, it looks like a person. You know, it's a little stick figure. looks like a person. In the one that came back, it's a big head, a little body, and it's like three feet tall, as you can measure from the way the thing is constructed. Oh, is that them? <laughs> and the same thing, the table of elements came back. We are carbon-based. Whatever sent this back is silicon-based. Uh, so all this information, and it came in a field that's near the largest radio telescope in England. Uh, so the, it went out from Puerto Rico in the largest radio telescope, and it came back in, in, in the field near the one in England. Uh, and it's, it's literally the, in the same field as the Sidonia face, the, Mars, the face on Mars cliff. the same field, right, just, you know, uh, a spitting distance away from that one. I tell you, that was one of the most thrilling developments in the whole crop circle history, really. This was so the crop circle response to Carl Sagan and Frank Drake's uh, uh, yep. SETI. Uh, um, yeah. And, and so you've been there, you've looked at them, and, and uh, are, you, are you quite certain that they are legitimate? They are. Uh, you know, there's never been, you know, there's a lot of buzz over there, and um, buzz about a lot of the formations. Oh, this one could be, whatever, whatever. There's no buzz on those two at all. I've never heard anybody suggest that anybody had hoaxed those. Um, so I'm, you know, pretty confident that we got, we're dealing with the real deal there. Do these crop circles? I mean, is there anecdotal evidence or any documented evidence, uh, a video film, that these things actually uh, appear almost instantaneously? There's no documentation, although if you're online, you think there is, because there's a widely circulated uh, clip that shows uh, balls of light uh, floating around, and then um, a crop circle whooshes down underneath them, which, which really does uh, replicate what eyewitnesses tell us really happens. That one, we're almost certain, was done in a lab. They're still fighting about it, but most the evidence seems to be that it was done in a lab. Um, but um, the, um, the, we've never had anybody actually catch one uh, being formed, but we do have on film, that is. But we do have eyewitness accounts, and we have uh, perhaps 40 of them. Again, we're not quite sure how many. There were 25 when that center existed, and they were collecting them. But that's been, uh, it's been a while now, and there have been a lot more, or fair, some number more. Uh, but the eyewitnesses all say the same thing. They happen to be there when a circle is forming. It happens so fast, they don't grab their camera. Because what they all say is that they go down in six or seven seconds. They get a little warning in that uh, 
there's something feels funny in the air. There feels like, you know, something's odd going on. Uh, lights, they frequently, they never see ships. They never seen a craft, but they do see lights uh, flashing on and off or shafts of light. And animals in the, in the neighborhood go crazy. The cows go crazy and the horses go crazy and the dogs go crazy. And then six or seven seconds, the whole thing swooshes down no matter how big it is. So we've heard that from enough people that we can presume that that's really what goes on. And I do a little re recreation of it in the movie. People say, oh, you caught one. Well, no, I, I didn't. I wasn't even trying to fool you. I just wanted to show you what it looks like when, you know, the... Uh, the movie magicians <laughs> get a crack at it. And after your uh, your years of of research and documenting um, these crop circles, are you any closer to um, making a decision on 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 what they are intended to be? Well, you have to, you know, guess. You know, nobody's telling you, but I've got mine, which is I do believe people sometimes think. Oh, um, when we finally get the final piece of the uh, jigsaw puzzle, we'll we'll get the message. I don't think so. Each one uh, has lots of information encoded in it. Uh, the good ones do, and um, you can see that on CropCircleConnector.com, where each one gets a page when it arrives, and a lot of people write in about what they see in it. But what I think is that we that that what the only you know, point to them that the sender is making is not to tell us something. He'd write it out in the fields if he wanted to give us a specific message. Uh, but I believe we're just being told there is other intelligence. And I think I can see them scratching whatever passes for their heads out there going, when are they going to get it? How much do we have to throw at them to show them that they're not alone, that there is other intelligence out here? Um, so I, I believe that is the point. The point is to wake us up to the fact that, you know, there's more going on in this earth than we are acknowledging and how good that would be for us. You know, we'd be one humanity in relation to the other. We have nothing to relate to now. It's just us being so violent with one another and abusive to the earth. But if we had this other otherness, our minds would all be enchanted by it and it would go, whoa, it wouldn't go away. It wouldn't be today's news story that would be go away tomorrow. It would never go away. We'd be in a new situation. I heard your last caller uh, or your last guest talking about Galileo and Copernicus. This would be the biggest news to humanity since Galileo and Copernicus. And they changed everything. When they changed the juxtaposition of Earth to the rest of the universe, Everything changed after that. Uh, kings and serfs gave way to democracy in a very kind of shorthand fashion of talking about it all. Uh, but we no longer were the big cheese of the universe. We were no longer the central thing, the most important thing in the universe. Well, once again, if we're not the only intelligence, we're not the most important thing in yet another iteration. And wouldn't that be good for us to get humbled and to be, in re to be respectful of something bigger than us going on? And it would just permeate our thinking and make us rethink everything. And have we ever needed rethinking more? We're in such danger now. You know, if we continue on the path we're on, trouble ahead, trouble already, you know. Suzanne Taylor, a documentary a filmmaker, What on Earth, Inside the Crop Circle Mystery, and it's uh, www.cropcirclemovie.com if you'd like to check it out. Uh, do you think that the architects or the authors of these crop circles, uh, are they extraterrestrial, interdimensional, or does it matter? You know, we don't know. It's a big mystery. We, you know, we think E.T., but that's our science fiction. 
uh, or whatever. I mean, maybe there is ET. We've got a lot of stuff going on that seems to indicate we've uh, got stuff flying around um, that uh, is coming from elsewhere. But, but the truth is we really don't know. Is it from another dimension? Is it from, you know, another place in the universe? Is it from the future? Is it nature? Is it, who, you just don't know. Uh, the only thing I, I, that I like, you know, that I think about it is that whatever it is, I would think is embodied as a, people say, oh, maybe it's nature giving us signals. Well, okay, but what does that look like? Who's designing that? And they're very specifically designed with, with definitive information in many of them about us, our religious symbols, important dates that they reflect. So something's knowing us, observing us, and reflecting back uh, reflecting ourselves back to us and also placing these things very um, uh, uh, carefully in um, usually juxtaposed to ancient sacred sites like Stonehenge, for instance. Everybody knows Stonehenge. We get a lot of them near there. But everywhere in the world, in fact, in, in the United States when we get them, they're typically in places like uh, near Indian burial grounds, something that we consider you know, ancient and sacred, you might say. And I think, well, why are they doing that? Well, first of all, they're doing it. And, and again, I think that embodied creatures are the one, there's design and placement and, and, and uh, decisions being made. Well, what can decide? I think it's embodied, whatever it is. Uh, and I think that they're landing near sacred sites to kind of remind us of the fact that we've, we've, we've gone astray. We need to get back to the... Uh, to the to the to the to the ideas that we had when we considered ourselves to be part of nature, we weren't separate from it, so that we could rape it. You know, we were it. We were nature. We, you know, the indigenous cultures know that. And I'm thinking that you know, the best of my ability to interpret, uh, th those are my ideas about you know w what's going on. Getting back to it, Doug and Dave, and the, the the you know the press release that was traced back to some government agency. Do you think that these crop circles are being studied in secret by the government, and that they they're, they're trying to throw us off the scent or get us disinterested in crop circles by creating these hoax hoaxes, if you will? Well, one, one, one would think so, you know. Uh, it's so hard to understand, you know, what's going on. This world is so contentious and so full of, you know, uh, adversarialness and whatever. But uh, one, somebody, it, just, it seems to be in somebody's interest not to have us paying attention to this. And, you know, the, the, the status quo uh, wants to maintain itself. The power structure does not want to be supplanted. It's just natural. You know, we've got very complex gears in place, and if you uproot them all, everything changes, and the power structure is not so keen on, you know, being supplanted or changed or whatever. You know, I don't know. I think of it somewhat like alcohol being legal and marijuana isn't, uh, or psychedelics aren't, because psychedelics would change your fundamental idea of what's going on in the universe, and alcohol keeps it nicely in place. And cultures have a way... Not, not by conspiracy, but just, you know, by the way it is uh, shared by everyone of, of keeping itself in place, you know. So uh, some, something doesn't want us to know about these things. Maybe we can't handle the truth. Maybe, they're, maybe whoever they are that's trying to keep a lid on this are acting in our own best interest. What do you think? Well, who knows, you know, but what do they know, you know? 
<laughs> I, I, I wouldn't give that advice if I were on the council about what the best interest is, uh, particularly with the circles, because they're so sweet. You know, there's no cattle mutilation going on here. There's nothing to fear. Uh, they're, you know, they're dealing in beauty. You know, sacred geometry is the design of the universe. The, so the reason that one of the reasons why you find the uh, formation so attractive is they're designed with sacred geometry. You, you don't know that, and you just look at them, and they're very harmonious and beautiful. But that's because of the underlying design that's very harmonious with the way the universe is. And you know, something is lovely and beautiful and benign, and uh, it just doesn't seem to have anything ominous in it. And in fact, you know, it wouldn't be a matter of. Uh, recognizing that they're coming from elsewhere and then all of a sudden having to shake the hand of a creature, uh, we never need to meet, meet the creatures at all. We just have to realize that there are such things that we are being, uh, in, being visited, we are being signaled, you might say, uh, and it, it changes the world. So what's the harm in that, you know? All right, that music is uh, creeping up on us. Let us uh, take a time out. We'll come back one more time out, uh, Suzanne, and uh, hang in there. We'll... Uh... Uh, delve just a little bit further uh, before we uh, let you go. Suzanne Taylor, what on earth? Inside the Crop Circle Mystery here on The Conspiracy Show, AM 740. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak to Richard live, call 416-360-0740. Or toll-free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations, what goes up must come down. And it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Check out the, tra- the uh, trailer for What on Earth Inside the Crop Circle Mystery at www.cropcirclemovie.com. Suzanne Taylor, uh, responsible for Another that. One other thing that's happening. Yes. I'm about to host a four-part webinar series. It's my second one for Evolver Intensives. I don't know if you pay attention to that up there, but um, it's online, so everybody can pay attention. The first series I did for them was all about crop circles. And this one has one of the great crop circle people who will be doing one of them, but it's called Pathways, Doorways, excuse me, Doorways to Another Reality. And I've got Edgar Mitchell, you know, the astronaut who uh, walked on the moon. Sixth man. Yeah, sixth man to walk on the moon, right. And I've got uh, remote viewing, Stephen Schwartz on remote viewing, and uh, Klaus Dona, who uh, has an incredible um, array of, artifacts that cannot be, you know, we, we, they can't be on Earth, but here they are. And each of them, each of those programs is a, opening, a mind opener to a bigger reality. Um, and that's going to, if you go to evolverintensives.com, uh, you will find my program, and I would urge everybody to check it out. It's going to be a very, very interesting series. Give us that website again. Evolverintensives.com. There's several others on there, but I'm probably the top one since I'm coming up on Saturday. The first one is this Saturday. It's noon Pacific time, and it goes on for a couple of hours. And we get very interesting participants who, it's astonishing to me that 
they are chatting away while all this fascinating data is coming along. And, I, you know, I'm an old buzzard and trying to follow all this stuff and multitask and whatever. It's like, whoa. But the people who participate are very interesting. And then they will open the mics. And actually, if you, if you have a camera, you'll be on camera on the webinar uh, so that they participate uh, after the initial presentation, uh, the, the cameras and mics are open for the participants, and it's very, very interesting. It always is. Have, have you ever have you had a face to face with uh, Edgar Mitchell about crop circles? Oh yeah. In fact, you know, he came back from the moon and he started and he founded the Institute of Noetic Sciences, yes. which is all about doing scientific experiments on these you know extraordinary sort of things. And so here's Edgar Mitchell. Uh, who is saying that UFOs are for real and his organization won't touch them. Uh, they won't do crop circles, they won't do UFOs, but he and I are on the bill a lot together, you know, at conferences, so we've gotten to know each other. And um, so uh, he's, you know, God bless Edgar Mitchell. Uh, he did a pre I was at a conference uh, showing my movie back east when um, he did a, a press, National Press Club conference when he was speaking about the fact that, you know, yes, please pay attention, each, uh, uh, UFOs are for real. And I got on my airplane to go home right after that, and I was in one of those planes that had a TV where they were getting live TV on your seat, you know, in yes. front of you. And I had CNN on, and the, all the whole trip on the crawl, you know, those little things that come across the bottom, they just kept repeating, Edgar Mitchell says that UFOs are for real. I thought, yay! <laughs> well, isn't that interesting, though, when you, you know, we live in this 24-hour news cycle, uh, but when a story like that breaks, it hangs around for literally 24 hours, and then it's gone. It's, um, it's like, uh, imagine... Edgar Mitchell said an a, a killer asteroid is headed to our planet and Oh wait a minute that one wouldn't go away so fast. <laughs> exactly. But 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 so you know if he says something like that here again the sixth man to walk on the moon says that UFOs are real aliens are real and after 24 hours they drop the story. Isn't that oh, strange? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, hello, you know. Again, we need to change our fundamentals around here. We're not in the right pattern, that's for sure. Yeah, just a few more minutes, uh, uh, Suzanne, and I thank you for your um, for hanging in there. But you said something that, that very interesting uh, before the break. You said a lot of things that were very interesting, but one that just made my ears uh, sort of perk up was the uh, you know on the one hand we have this crop circle phenomenon, and then on the other hand we have this you know the cattle mutilation. And I'm thinking can't be from the same race of ETs. I mean, I don't know. How do you really. how do you reconcile this dichotomy? Don't ask me. I don't know. That's the weirdest because I've actually talked to farmers, you know, who uh, have uh, had these things occur on, on their ranches. And boy, you know, it, it, that doesn't seem like a hoax. You know, it seems like that that's for real. That has gone on. I don't know. I mean, there are just mysteries on Earth. You know, at some level, I want to say something about mysteries also, although I, I know saying it in relation to that one is perhaps not the best uh, subject matter. But mystery is good for us. It keeps our minds open, you know? It's good that we don't understand everything. And, of course, how can we? We live in this incredible universe, you know? But 
things that really keep poking at us and making us think and rethink and open our minds. Well, an open mind, something new can come in, you know. So it's good for us. I, I, it's okay that we have mysteries. Yeah, I think you have a quote on your website from Ken Kesey, the author of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and one of the Merry Pranksters. He said, mysteries are more important than the answers. <laughs> really? Really? <laughs> is, is, but did I not see that on your website? Maybe it... Um, Somewhere. Anyway. Well, you've you've really studied my website. If you see, <laughs> I, I actually have a lot. I, I have a wonderful blog called theconversation.org. I don't want to confuse people with too many websites, but actually, if you got on cropcirclemovie.com and saw my trailer, you can actually link to my blog from there. But I post the most interesting things, and uh, including fabulous quotes and what have you. But I'm a snoop for what's interesting and outside the box, and um, so I. I you know, if you go through my archives, you'll find the most interesting pieces about yeah. not just crop circles, but about other things that can change our perspective and our consciousness and our worldview. Hit us again with the webinar info. Well, the webinar is coming up starting Saturday. There's going to be four of them, three on a Saturday, and then there'll be one on a Sunday. Uh, they start this Saturday, which is the 16th of June, uh, 2 o'clock Pacific time. And uh, four fabulous programs about things that cannot be but are, one of them being crop circles. Andy Thomas is one of the best crop circle people. He actually had had a, an accident on a bike uh, before I did the last series of four crop circle webinars, and he couldn't do it. Uh, he wasn't well, but he's all recovered now. And uh, he, he's, he's probably my favorite person to talk to about crop circles. He produces one of the big conferences over there. Um, and he's just so smart. He writes books and he has a publishing company. Um, and he'll do one of them. And the other three are equally fascinating about other topics. Uh, Edgar Mitchell, astronaut, remote viewing, and artifacts that cannot be. So just get on EvolverIntensives.com and uh, you can read all about it. Suzanne, thank you so much for this evening. Oh, Richard, thank you so much. Someday we'll talk about our twins. Ah, yes, indeed. Yeah, I'm reading your bio. I have <laughs> twins, too. Do you now? <laughs> All right. Well, that's, there's, uh, uh, yeah, that's a, a discussion certainly worthy of <laughs> right. uh, a couple of hours for sure. I don't know. I was always meant to be unusual. As my husband once said to me, you can't do anything like anybody else. You even had twins. That was when he was a man. <laughs> He's not my husband anymore. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and he loves his children. He just couldn't think of what to say to me. He was so frustrated. <laughs> anyway, whatever. You know, it's hard whatever. seeing the world in a different light, isn't it? It's when you're, it's like, uh, you know, it's like you ever walk into Ikea and everyone is walking, you know, in the direction of the arrows. And I don't know if you have Ikea. Uh, yeah, we you do. But you decide, you, you know, you'd be the person who'd walk the other way, wouldn't you? <laughs> really, probably. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, Suzanne. I'll meet you walking the other way, Richard. Indeed, you will. Okay, Suzanne, take care. Well, thanks a million. Bye-bye. Bye. Suzanne Taylor. And again, the documentary is What on Earth? Inside the Crop Circle Mystery. Check it out at www.cropcirclemovie.com. Listen, we have 23 minutes and counting until the top of the hour and when, when we will dim the lights and say goodnight for another week. So why don't we open up the phone lines right now until the top of the hour and you can get it said. Uh, if you'd like to comment on something you heard on this program uh, tonight or in previous weeks, then we make the phone lines available to you now. Here are the numbers. Write these down. Stick them on your fridge. Stick them on your nightstand. 416 360 
740 416-360-0740. That's good for the uh, greater Toronto area and toll-free from just about anywhere else on the planet, including inside a crop circle, one 866 740-4740. The phone lines are now open and available to you. And keep in mind what we talk about on the program, obviously. We talk about the paranormal, the supernatural, uh, political subterfuge, geopolitics, uh, alternative energy. Uh, uh, and also, something that we haven't done in a while, if you'd like to talk about the things that have made the, the, the hairs on the back of your neck stand up, uh, always, always have time for a good ghost story here on The Conspiracy Show. And uh, while we're waiting for the phone lines to, uh, to, to, to light up, and I see they're starting to go now, let me also just remind you about I- Idea City, Moses Nimer's Idea City, now in its 13th year, Canada's premier meeting of the minds, and uh, June 13th, 14th, and 15th, taking over Kerner, or Corner Hall, at the, uh, it's part of the Royal Observatory of Music. It's a beautiful, uh, a beautiful theater. I think it's about a, holds about a thousand people, uh, and uh, some amazing speakers. Uh, uh, and then there's me. <laughs> uh, my wife's sitting at home saying, "Why are you so hard on yourself?" Uh, you know what? You've just—it's just the way I am. Anyway, I will be speaking about 2012 uh, on June 13th in the morning session. And uh, uh, you can get online at city, uh, sorry, ideacityonline.com, ideacityonline, all one word, dot com, and check out the list of uh, tremendous presenters that are going to be speaking over the course of three nights, or three days, rather, and uh, you can order your your, uh, tickets online there as well. I really hope that uh, you're able to check it out. All right, let's say hello to Michael in the Beaches. Good morning, Michael. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Yes, uh, good morning, Richard. Hi there. Oh, <clears throat> not that. Uh, uh, I just turned on the radio just, you know, an hour ago, and I was shocked to hear Michael Corn. on Why there. would you be shocked to hear Michael Corn? Well, I, he was on other shows before. <laughs> He's been on many shows before. He's a broadcaster, after well, all, and an I, author. <laughs> I can't name them, but, uh, that, yeah, because I knew he had a book out called Why Catholics Are Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so the various lies uh, he perceives against Christianity, I think one of the lies that I have not heard covered was that Christianity's anti-women. Uh, for example, when uh, the Apostle Paul told instructed women if they have any questions or concerns, that they should ask their husbands at home and that they should keep quiet in the churches, and that, you know, in the earlier days, I think all choirs were, uh, you know, men. Well, you, you're talking about you know, the structure of an organized religion versus, uh, let's say, for example, the, the position of someone like uh, Mary Magdalene. Now, wouldn't it be, isn't it interesting uh, that, you know, the woman, the, the person, rather, the witness that came and told the apostles that Christ had risen was a woman. Now, if the church considered women to be inferior and not, uh, let's say, credible witnesses, they probably would have rewrote that chapter or that gospel. But yet, they left it alone, right? It was a woman who saw Christ uh, or, or saw that uh, the Christ was risen. So, um, you know, I... You know, I I, um, I talk to women inside the Orthodox Church. I ask them, "Do you feel inferior? Do you because you're not able to be a priest? Not at all, not at all." Um, 
anything else, Michael, you wanted to discuss or? I, I, yeah. Well, I, oh, just, I, I, uh, just something I heard last week. A good guest for a future show. Yes, please. You all guess, you will guess where I heard this guest from. His name's Tom Horn. He wrote, uh, he wrote uh, about the prophecies of, you know, various popes. Uh, and that this next this next pope, he says, will be an imposter. He is, goes by Catholic mystics that you know uh, that uh, prophesy each pope, and that this next pope will occur around 2012. And uh, yeah, there is uh, th- this uh, work of Thomas Horn. I think is is actually based on um, someone uh, who was called uh, Saint Malachi. Uh, yeah. And Malachi talked about, uh, or, or actually uh, predicted, you know, that certain names of popes. Now he was writing, I believe, in the 14th or 15th century, and he identified the documents may have been forged or stolen, or I, right. I don't know. I didn't follow. Uh, but he was a- able to identify, for example, the identity of Pope, Pope John Paul, uh, Pope John Paul II, by their nationality and other indicators. Uh, John Paul the first, something about a half moon. Yes, that he died. You know, uh, a month later, in the middle of the of the half moon. Well, like uh, I guess the end of around the middle of the month or something like that. And that allegedly he was murdered. Right. Yes. Well, I think um, uh, we've all heard that suggested. Well, he said that I'm. I'm pretty sure he said. Jonathan Edwards predicted the fall of Rome. I don't, and I don't think it's the psychic John Edwards. It's that Christian intellectual minister or, or writer or something like that, hmm. John, Jonathan Edwards, two centuries ago. All right, listen, Michael, always a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, same to you. Thank you, okay. Michael in the Beaches. All right, uh, we'll take another time out. And once again, a reminder, if you'd like to get on board, and join the discussion. The numbers are 416-360-0740, 416-360-0740, toll free, 1-866-744-740. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show, and my name is Richard Serrett. Poking holes in the darkness. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To see the light, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. Fasten your seatbelt and put your tray in the upright position. You're about to leave everything you know behind. On The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. AM 740. Welcome back. Next week, no, not next week, sorry, the week after next week, June 24th, 2012. Mark this one down on your calendar. Uh, In the second hour of that program, uh, media scientist Nelson Thal and uh, Wanda Steele, Miss Steele, will be on the program. Uh, This will be the anniversary of Michael Jackson's death, ML uh, or so called death, uh, they'll be along to discuss all the evidence suggesting that Michael Jackson, in fact, faked his death. Uh, that's coming up. And uh, let's see, what else do we have coming up on the program? Uh, Gary Schwartz, um, 
has written a new book. It's called The Sacred Promise, How Science is Discovering Spirit's Collaboration with Us in Our Daily Lives. Uh, Professor Gary Schwartz from the University of Arizona, who's done some amazing work uh, and research into things like cellular memory. Uh, His new one is called The Sacred Promise. Again, How Science is Discovering Spirit's Collaboration with Us in Our Daily Lives. That's coming up on the program. And uh, as well, Nick Redfern, uh, the Pyramids and the Pentagon, the government's top-secret pursuit of mystical relics, ancient astronauts, and lost civilizations. Nick Redfern, my gosh, he, I, I swear this guy puts out a new book every five months or, or less. He's just incredible. Uh, Brad and Sherry Steiger, it's been quite a while since uh, they've been on the program. Uh, they have a, um, uh, a new book out uh, called Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier, and uh, they'll be with us shortly, perhaps as early as next week. On July the 1st, Sunday, July the 1st, I'm actually going to take a Sunday off, uh, but my good pal, uh, Victor Vigiani, who uh, often sits in on uh, UFO discussions on this program, Victor Vigiani will be um, in the house, sitting in the air chair, and uh, I know that one of his guests will be Thomas Stryker, uh, who um, talks about extraplanetary experiences. These are people um, who claim to have, I guess, been transported to other planets. Uh, so that should be interesting. That's Sunday, July 1st. Victor Vigiani will be guest hosting. And um, one of his guests, again, Thomas Stryker, extraplanetary experiences. And of course, uh, if you want to check out what's coming up with the program or, or if you've missed a show and want to find out uh, information on a past show, you go to the website, www.theconspiracyshow.com, uh, and uh, from there you can get to richardserrett.com as well. Incidentally, the online poll question up on the website right now, uh, we are one week away, actually, from another election in Greece. Of course, Greece, uh, very near and dear to me because uh, um, the mighty Aphrodite is uh, Greek. Uh, I don't know in one week's time whether anything is going to be resolved. I highly doubt it. I think there'll be another stalemate and another uh, uh, situation, you know, n- no party uh, will be able to form a government. So what that, you know, what the future holds for Greece, I don't know. It's pretty uncertain and pretty tense over there right now. Uh, however, the online poll question is, is Greece better off in or out of the European community? And you can vote. Uh, that's been up there for a while. So I'll be taking that poll question down and replacing it. But uh, as of right now, uh, 82.4% of you are saying that Greece is better off outside the European, uh, the Euro, uh, and 14.7% of you are saying it should stay in the European community. 2.9% of you are not sure. All right. Last call to the phones before we call it a night at 416-360-0740 and toll-free toll-free from just about anywhere, 1-866-740-4740. Those of you who are regular listeners to the program know that usually once a year around Easter time, I talk about the Shroud of Turin. It happens to be one of my favorite topics as a Christian. I believe it it is, I think all the best available evidence suggests it is the burial cloth, the authentic burial cloth of Jesus Christ and and, and contains evidence of a resurrection. Uh, and of course, you know, uh, people have been back and forth on this issue for many years. Well, now the latest uh, being reported in 
the London Daily Mail, uh, says that not only is the Shroud of Turin probably a medieval fake, but it is just one of an astonishing 40 so-called burial cloths of Jesus, according to an eminent church historian. Antonio Lombardi said the false shrouds circulated in the Middle Ages, but most of them were later destroyed. He said that the Shroud of Turin itself, showing an image of a bearded man and venerated for centuries as Christ's burial cloth, appears to have originated in Turkey some 1,300 years after the crucifixion. Lombardi of the University uh, Popolare in Parma, Italy, cited work by a 19th century French historian who had studied surviving medieval documents. The shroud, uh, the Turin Shroud is only one of the many burial cloths which were circulating in the Christian world during the Middle Ages. They were at, there were at least 40, said Lombardi. Now, I disagree with him. There were many, yes, there were many forgeries. They weren't forgeries. Uh, people would actually go to uh, the Cathedral of St. John uh, in Turin, and, uh, of course, every royal house in Europe wanted to have uh, a copy of the Shroud of Turin. So they would send artists, and uh, they would lay out their, uh, their papyrus or their whatever they were using to, uh, to, uh, to make a copy. And these artists would sit there and, uh, and study the actual shroud and, and, and paint. They would paint a version as best they could. An exact replica, perhaps, if the artist was artist was particularly skilled. And in some cases, what they would do is they would take their copy that they had just freshly painted of the shroud, and in order to, I guess, infuse their copy with some, I don't know, some spirituality, they would put put it up right next to the shroud, and uh, so that it would make contact with the shroud, hoping that some there would be some transference. I don't know, of the Holy Spirit on from the authentic shroud onto the copy of the shroud. And this is why, this is why there have been um, little bits of paint that have been detected on the, the original shroud. Little flecks of paint. Because of all these copies, probably hundreds of copies, once they were freshly painted, again, they would... They would take their copy and and uh, sit uh, and and uh, rub it up against virtually rub it up against the actual shroud. But the actual image on the shroud is not paint. We know that that's a scientific fact. So, I don't agree with uh, Antonio Lombardi. I'm sure he is an eminent church historian. Um, but the shroud of Turin that we know today did not originate in Turkey some 13 years, 1,300 years after the crucifixion. Uh, every available piece of evidence, I believe, points to a first-century burial cloth. And uh, there's only one possible explanation of how that image got on there, and that is some radiation event, um, a resurrection event. I think so. However... Uh, there is someone, actually, now that uh, I think of it, who is going to be speaking at Idea City about the Shroud of Turin. So if you're interested in the Shroud, you got to check it out. Uh, again, go to ideacityonline.com, and um, one of the many presenters at this year's Idea City will be talking about the Shroud. And I tell you, I'm going to be sitting front and center for that one because it is my 
one of my favorite topics, if not my absolute favorite topics. David Gaskin, how would I do this show without you? I wouldn't, I couldn't, I shan't. Thank you again for your capable wizardry behind the, uh, the audio board. You're taking a week off next week. Two weeks off. I'm going to miss you, buddy. But uh, I'm, I'm sure someone will, very capable. Is it Andre will be sitting in? All right. Make sure he knows where everything is. I get nervous when you're not here, David. <laughs> Have a good time. A, a well-deserved rest, my friend. All right. Uh, back again next week. At this point, oh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley will be with us next week. She couldn't join us tonight. Normally, it's the second Sunday of every month. Our paranormal investigator, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, joins us. But she was away at a conference, so she'll be here next week. And I believe Barry and uh, Sherry Steiger uh, will be along to talk about uh, uh, conspiracies and secret societies. Of course, what else would we discuss on this program? Hope you'll be along for that one. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed. Nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite, I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.